Before you listen to this podcast, you can subscribe to The Critic magazine with the current offer of three issues for just £5. Head to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk, to subscribe today. How did Huawei destroy its Western competitors to achieve such dominance? And does the government's decision to phase Huawei out of the UK's 5G network go far enough to address security fears? In this podcast, former leader of the Conservative Party, Sir Ian Duncan Smith MP, talks to the critic's political editor, Graham Stewart, about the issues that remain to be settled concerning Huawei's presence in the UK, as well as the role Britain should play in building an international alliance to compete with China, from telecoms technology to keeping the peace in the South China Sea. Yesterday's announcement by the government that uh, Huawei equipment's to be stripped out of 5G over seven years... Are you happy with this, or does the announcement not go far enough? Well, first of all, I welcome the government, people talk about a U-turn, but basically they made the wrong decision in February. Uh, A number of us thought it was the wrong decision. We think not just Huawei, but Huawei is a threat, but other untrusted vendors are a threat, you know, ZTEC and others uh, that are uh, considered to be a threat. So there are lots of them, but Huawei, peculiarly in the UK, have got sort of a very strong hold. Uh, And so changing their view on this is critical, and I'm pleased that they've done it. Uh, So that's a good start. In other words, they've accepted they were wrong in February, they're now right in changing it. My concern is they've listened a bit too much to those who have lobbied them, uh, and the seven years has problems in it. And I've just written a piece for the Express today, but let me explain. Right now, that up until the end of the year, if BT or any other company stockpiles Huawei equipment, for the next seven years, they will be entitled to roll that out. Thus, we will have for seven years, basically, a developing 5G system <coughs> with, uh, run by Huawei. So that makes it difficult on two counts. One is they won't be removing it till very late on. And the second thing is companies that didn't want to use Huawei will still find themselves at a disadvantage financially. And I can think of one telco that, that uh, will not be happy with that decision. Uh, because they were going to go for Ericsson, but Ericsson a bit more expensive because Huawei is subsidised by the Chinese bank. So number one, yup, they've made the decision to get Huawei out, but I don't see seven years important. And interestingly, um, I think yesterday morning, or was it the day before, I'm not sure, but the either chief executive or the chairman of uh, British Telecom uh, admitted that they want seven years, he said, but they could do it in five. So if they said they can do it in five, let's get it done before get it by the next election, make a clean break with it. Uh, the second element is there's no mention of 4G or 3G, so Huawei will continue to upgrade their 4G systems with big software changes going forward. So um, the level of risk will increase with Huawei on 4G because they will use this as a vehicle to demonstrate that they are perfectly safe. So this will be part of the proposal process, trying to persuade the government that by the fifth year, well, you know, it, it, there's no problem, there's no issue, you haven't seen anything, so we're not such a big deal. That would be big pressure on the government then from companies like BT and so to, to say, well, you know, maybe you can change this, give us another four years, get, you can see the process. I can literally write the script now, uh, how it starts. <clears throat> and <clears throat> the, the, uh, the last area, of course, is uh, on human rights. So on human rights, uh, Huawei have already... Uh, as we understand it, uh, made a pretty near false declaration in their human rights declaration for 
the Modern Day Slavery Act, because there are real issues about the usage of their equipment in the suppression of the Uyghurs and in others and in the use of the camps. And uh, there are many who believe that uh, they have been involved in the use of, of labor from those camps in one way or the other. I don't, you know, I, as I say, these are areas that the government now needs to decide uh, whether on a wholly different front, as I pointed out to the Secretary of State, if they are proven, will the Secretary of State then make the decision that while well, we are no longer allowed to be selling into our systems? In so the these are big issues. So the holes in the statement, Overall, yes, I'm very pleased that our campaign uh, to, um, to change the government's decision has worked, but <clears throat> it does seem to me that that campaign <clears throat> needs to be accelerated. In the autumn, the legislation will come forward in a yep. new telecom security bill. Do you foresee mm. amendments being put forward which would reduce from seven years to five years the uh, um, uh, removal of Huawei equipment from 5G or uh, new declarations on human rights compatibility and the use of... Well, I think all these, things, all these things will be in play. Mm -hmm. So um, it depends what colleagues think, what they want. Uh, when they really study what the statement was yesterday, it's very difficult immediately afterwards, if you're not directly involved, to understand quite what the implication of the, of, uh, the statement is. So we need to sort of pull it apart a bit and have a good long look at it. So there are lots of colleagues that have come to see me since the statement to say they're a bit uneasy about <clears throat> elements of it, and that's exactly what will happen. Mm -hmm. So there's a possibility that the government's gone a, a long way towards what yourself and other uh, sceptically-minded MPs have been calling for, but, but perhaps have not yet gone far enough to, to convince MPs that uh, these measures are sufficient. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't speak for others, so it would be very clear, you know, my views are my views. Mm -hmm. But I think more of my colleagues uh, will have welcomed this. No question, we welcome the change in direction. Uh, so what we're looking at is how do we make that direction change, directional change, become a little clearer and a bit more focused. The, the government have claimed that their change of heart in Huawei <clears> is <throat> a direct result <throat> of the US Department of Commerce's sanctions on supplying Huawei with chips. Many things are a bit surprising about that. I mean, the idea that in January, British intelligence didn't know that, that Washington might be proposing something like this does seem surprising and peculiar. But no matter, it's happened. Is there now a feeling that actually this is about a much more strategic game, a total re-examination of Britain's attitude towards China? Well, I have called for a strategic review of Britain's dependency on China. But I also formed, with others, uh, an organisation called the Interparliamentary Alliance on China. And that is made up now of nearly 18 countries. And the way we do it is that we have co-chairs in each country, one on the left, one on the right. So there's completely balanced, cross-party, across the floor. Um, and in all those countries, the main ask is, can we now reassess the complete failure of the free world's industrial strategy, commercial strategy and financial strategies uh, that have allowed themselves just to become completely dependent on a communist government that brooks no dissent, does not value human rights, uh, does not understand the concept of the application, independent application of uh, the law, 
and most importantly, of course, is now busy bullying all its neighbours uh, and uh, imprisoning the Uyghurs and others. And, 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 and we know that they have abused the WTO's rules on trade. They subsidise industries like Huawei. They have set out strategically to own key areas of production. So, for example, all these telephones, even the stuff that we're using now, most of them are made in China. They're done so because of the cheap price, massively subsidised, of course, by Chinese government. And we know that uh, they own 85% of the rare earth materials, which go to the making up of telephones and batteries and computers and things. They also have the large share of the processing. So they have a very strategic view about where they want to be. They want to be dominant in all the key areas that are available to the free world, to the West, but also wider to the free world. Uh, and they pretty much have stuck to that. And they've abused every rule that they wish to abuse simply to do that. Now, that's important because it, it has meant that companies left to their own devices have run to China for cheaper product because that improves their margins, gives them greater <coughs> profitability at home. All of this is what's been going on and that has fed the Chinese economic boom. It's been companies, British companies, American companies, French companies, all vying with each other to do business with China. And that is a very short-term view. What has, therefore, as a result of the Chinese subsidy of companies like Huawei, Huawei has been able to go into the free world and underbid every single normal market company. So that, you know, when this all first started 10, 12 years ago, we had about 10 suppliers of, of um, uh, systems, teleco systems, telecom systems, uh, more suppliers originally of um, uh, technology work on full fiber, this has all crashed because one by one they've gone out of business. They've been undercut financially. The reasons why Huawei have been brought in, ZTech and all the others, not because they have great technology. Their technology is at best no better than anybody else's and at worst nowhere near as good. I mean, when it comes to systems to work, there's no question most people believe that Ericsson, for example, are well ahead of Huawei. And when it comes to microchips, they're a good 12 years probably behind America or the West in the development of microchips. So it's not technology, it's the fact that they actually have bought the business and they want to buy the business here in the UK, which has been the great game because that opens up the developing world. They can say, well, look, we're okay in the UK. You know, it's a, it's a prestige market. So all of that is part of the strategic uh, agenda of the Chinese government. And the free world governments have been picked off one by one. And my answer to that is, as IPAC, Interparliamentary Alliance on China has said we need to come together now to ask ourselves across the board in the free world how did this happen? How did we become so stupid about this that we've put ourselves lock, stock, and barrel in the hands of a government that is antithetic to to um, uh, to Western governments in every regard? And then, of course, you pop COVID into this, their management of that, you pop dreadful business on Hong Kong, where they're now literally arresting people for sedition, who may even only be retweeting stuff, had people fleeing Hong Kong already, um, and their ambitions over, over uh, Taiwan, their disputes in the South China Sea, <coughs> where they've literally, <coughs> sorry, they've literally taken over the South China Sea. Uh, against the Philippines, against Vietnam, against all those other countries. They just decided what the hell and they've done it. 
The UN has said, no, you have no rights in there above anybody else, but they just ignored it. Uh, and the Belt and Road Project, they own 20% of African debt. They sell their own equipment into Africa as part of the loan program. They put their own engineers in. So my point really is, in every regard, the free world has just been caught asleep at the wheel. And in the pursuit of cheaper product, we have now discovered that our whole internal uh, strategies have collapsed. So we're vulnerable now on security. Um, to the Huawei's and the others of this world, we're vulnerable now in geopolitical terms to a very aggressive nation now disputing its borders with others. And we're vulnerable in terms of our ability to, uh, to access resources that aren't owned by China. So this is a massive hole. <clears throat> and it's difficult to believe that 40 years ago, um, governments, the free world, would have allowed this to happen. And I think what has happened is a big, big failure about 10 years ago of governments to, <clears throat> to, to say, yep, we need to trade with China, but we need to do it on our terms and we mustn't tolerate abuses. And this has been the big problem. So we're now facing a genuine, serious, I think, threat uh, from a very aggressive, uh, intolerant Chinese communist government um, and one that has an enormous economy now, which is not like the Soviet Union, which was a threat and became a military threat in due course, but on the, an economy, arguably in relative terms, the size of a peanut. This is a very different game altogether. The problem is that we are in the world we're in, and whilst Western countries have made strategic mistakes, the fact is they've made them. As you yourself yep. said, 85% of rare earths are in China. If we have a, a very serious trade war and, and China were to cut off such resources to the West, uh, it would be self-defeating for, for Western countries like ourselves. So g given that we've, we've made ourselves clients of China, mm -hmm. how do we extract ourselves in, in a way which isn't self-defeating? Well, because we need to have a strategic view about this now. So the free world needs to decide. Because the free world collectively together enormously outweighs China. Uh, you know, <clears throat> and America is still uh, the most powerful and economic powerful nation on the planet. But we need to come together because the truth is we need to seek the alternatives that compete with this uh, Chinese problem. And we need to bolster the WTO on the basis that when people breach it by these enormous subsidies, etc., that are taking place and this market distortion that's been going on, then they need to be called out and then other countries won't do business with them. So, and, and taking the rare earth materials, part of the reason why they control so much is because it became unviable for others to run these mines because they've just undercut, again, massive subsidy. So what we need now to do is figure out how important are these areas to us and collectively do we now think that this is something worth support through government to be able to give the, the kickstart to industries. Um, I was talking today to... Uh, to one of the companies on Fiverr. And up until recently, only two companies were available to do the Fiverr rollout. One was Huawei, the other is Nokia. Now, there's just a new American company starting up in this area, but there ought to be loads of companies in this. The world is rolling out Fiverr. Why has the UK not got a company that is interested in the Fiverr technology? There must be. The answer is, can't compete. They're struggling to compete. The small company struggles. 
to compete with a company like Huawei, which underbids everybody and undercuts them. So this is, you protect your market from false distortions that immediately then opens the market to allow free market principles and companies to arise. And, you know, Adam Smith would be tearing his hair out if he wasn't wearing a wig. <laughs> After the end of this year, Britain will no longer be subject to uh, mm. EU regulation. How do you see a, a, a Brexit Britain being able to recalibrate itself in terms of perhaps subsidies mm. for uh, nascent uh, technology companies to, to build this in, in, you know, in British companies that could compete, or simply in terms of having new barriers towards China in areas mm. where it's not a level playing field? Well, the first thing is we need to nurture technology. So UK is actually not too bad. It hasn't been too bad on that. I mean, just look at the games industry. The games industry is a huge British success story. I mean, it is the dominant player in computer games. Now, we need to look at that and see that that, therefore, is an important, vital market. And therefore, we need to ask ourselves, why aren't we as dominant in things like information technology? You know, why does America have to dominate with the Facebooks and others, it's time that we looked at what they're doing and, and, and we have the capability. All these other companies in areas that I've just talked about, which China has begun to dominate, we need to look as a strategic sense. The UK, when it leaves the EU, has to be cutting edge and it has to be speedy, quick, and it needs to be incredibly viable to set a company up in the UK for, for good reasons. You know, we already have a great country in terms of sport, entertainment, all the lifestyle issues, this is a great place to come, as the financial services know. So what we need to make sure is that companies that start up here can do so advantageously, that it's cheaper to do that, but also that they know the capability of individuals coming through universities and colleges are abundant and highly qualified. And so <clears throat> resetting the dial so that we favour areas of technology, that students are encouraged to go into those areas, those sort of things. That's the way to face the challenge down, but at the same time to create a global Britain that can lead the world in these areas. We are a remarkable country, but what we've done is we've run elsewhere for cheap product. What we need to do is look at how the UK could actually reinvest in areas that we've kind of turned a blind eye to, but are potentially highly profitable areas. As I said, if we do this strategically, uh, then there will be big markets opening up around uh, the world. And if we have the right people in the right place and companies in the right place that have started up in these areas, then I think that's key. So Britain's got to be light on its feet, flexible. It's got to have lower levels of overweening regulation. It's got to be a low-tax economy. It's got to be exactly that, but inviting all those technologists and others to make this their home to compete with not just China, but the Californias of this world, etc. That's a proper market. Final question about defence. You, <coughs> you mentioned the South China Sea and, and China's uh, expanding ambitions there. A lot of talk mm. in the last few days about uh, the Royal Navy's new carrier, oh, yeah. HMS Queen Elizabeth, being based somewhere, uh, Japan, Singapore, various ports being suggested. Um, is that a good idea in principle? Is it uh, perhaps needlessly uh, inflammatory towards China and that could therefore do more harm than good? And thirdly, um, a carrier doesn't 
um, sail around on its own. It needs a carrier group and, and frigates mm-hmm. and destroyers and, and you know, pickets and, and yep. so on. Um, given how few uh, um, surface ships the Royal Navy now has, if we're going to divert ships to escort HMS Queen Elizabeth, uh, then how is the North Atlantic going to be protected? Well, that's the question for the government in their review. Uh, if they think that cutting back on defence is the future, then they're wrong. Making it more efficient, absolutely. Getting it more balanced, quite right. But if you have now two carriers, which they will do, uh, your whole uh, reach now changes with these two carriers. We begin now again for the first time in 30 years to actually be capable of being engaged with the Americans and others in some of these areas of the world. Now, the truth is the North Atlantic um, is an area that we have to secure, but the question is, If we're going to have carrier groups, we need ships. You're quite right. We need support ships. We need supply ships. And we need protection. Uh, And that is going to have to be the case, which means the Royal Navy is going to have to become the focus, the greater focus now, of the military budget, uh, supported by, you know, the Air Force, etc., and deployable military. So we're going to be need to be both flexible and at the same time we're going to need to have the capability. So there is the choice. Um, I know there's a review going on. I know there's arguments. There have never been anything else but arguments about why the MOD is, you know, out of budget, as it were, when it comes to spending on equipment. There's lots of reasons for that because these things are small purchased, cape size, high technological issues, lots of problems about design. But all of these need to be overcome in, in terms of making them more efficient. But at the same time, we now will need to... A global Britain needs to project power, uh, soft power and serious heavy power. And uh, my view about that is the two go hand in glove. So our re-emergence with these aircraft carriers onto the global scene is an important feature to be treated seriously. Uh, many of these other countries that we left behind when we joined the EU. You know, we've kept the Commonwealth going, but we... You know, at times, the Commonwealth wonders where we are. We were very bad to Australia and New Zealand when we joined the EU. They got a raw deal out of it. They've since emerged separately. They're very keen to do more business with us on many other countries in the Far East. We have a new role now. We are not just Atlantic-based. We're back to where we might have been years ago. The question now is, are we prepared to will the means? And that's the big question. If Boris Johnson wants to be global, then a global Britain needs also to be capable militarily in a global sense. Otherwise, it just looks like a lot of rhetoric and no substance. So the, our armed forces' ability to project both soft and hard power uh, are critical uh, to our presence in these markets. Ian Duncan Smith, thank you very much. If you've enjoyed listening to The Critic Podcast, why not subscribe to have the magazine delivered to your door? Subscribe today with the offer of three issues for just £5 by heading to our website, www.thecritic.co.uk.